Our scripture reading this morning can be found in the book of Psalms, chapter 32. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. Do not be, the like, be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts in him. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in heart. The word of the Lord. Uh, Matt is at camp, but we do have a celebrity sighting. Nico Garcia is here <laughs> and is going to work with the bridge this morning. So if you're here in sixth through eighth grade, join Nico. Good morning, my name is Dee, and uh, it is just a privilege to be with you. Thanks for all who have set the tone in wonderful worship, our band for the reading, Scott, for uh, Tyler, the announcements, for the decor. We are in a season that marks some very wonderful things for us as we cast our vision toward Easter and what it means to live into the journey that leads toward that. I would like, before I jump into the scripture that was just read, acknowledge um, about our church some of the pieces of the life of our church that often don't get shared, um, particularly if for whatever reason we show up on a Sunday morning, we'll hear the announcements, um, but maybe we're not aware of the things that happen kind of behind the scenes or in between Sunday mornings, and sometimes it's just good to know that this place is quite the beehive of activity at other times other than a Sunday morning. For those of you that come on a Wednesday night, it's a pretty busy time. But this weekend, it just was a thrill to be around and watch how the facilities get used, to see what's taking place, um, what various groups are doing. So let's start with Thursday night in the youth room and the outreach that takes place on Thursday nights to young adults takes place on a regular basis. Friday night, we had in here about 140, 150 people for a dinner that was intended to raise awareness for Coco Gracias, the ministry that we've partnered with for almost a decade now um, in Honduras. And it was a wonderful gathering of people that uh, are supporting that ministry in a variety of ways, both part of our church and part of other churches. 
Saturday morning at uh, 7.30 in the youth room, the men's breakfast, and about an hour after that got started, in here was a gathering for a clothing ministry um, where they sort and gather all of the clothing that's donated to try and benefit um, teenagers, um, people in our community and in our city. And that was taking place all day in here. We had a memorial service that uh, happened at 2 o'clock, um, paying honor and tribute to beautiful service for Betty Prince. While those things were going on in the worship center, um, they were rehearsing for a performance that's tied into a philanthropic parent-child group in our community called Madcaps. That was going through most all of the day. And through the course of the weekend, we partnered with PLNU, being part of the Writers' Symposium and using some of our facilities for the things that gathered. Simultaneous, too, as was just mentioned, the youth retreat that takes place this weekend, as well as 1722 retreat that takes place this weekend. What a crazy place this is. Look around. It doesn't seem like, you know, that that could happen with, well, I'm not saying that it couldn't happen with you, but just that out of this, that much would take place. What a great thing to celebrate. Yeah, it is. Thank you. It is wonderful. It's partnerships with community neighbors. It's trying to make a difference. It's trying to use up our facilities in good ways. It is not an attempt to be busy. There's no sacredness in being busy. It is simply trying to identify the ways in which we can help people on this journey see God, hear the good news of Christ, tie into what they're working on, and contribute to that journey in ways that awaken us to God's goodness all around. I, I want to say thank you. It's just a thrill to be part of a church that casts a vision that way. I also want to share something that has really no redeeming value, but it was a really humorous part of the church life. Um, you may know this, you may not, but this service we record um, as a podcast that you can find the recordings on our website, go to and click on it for a later time. The first service, which um, same message, uh, just a different music package that goes with it, is actually streamed on the Facebook page for the church. And um, there was a service a week ago Sunday that I, I don't know if this was by intent or not, but the, the camera is set up right by the soundboard at the back, right at the end of one of the aisles, and it's just recording... It's not dramatic camera work. It is just an iPad or something like that set up. But someone, either by accident or by intent, and a little bit of me hopes it was by intent, pressed the button that you might have on your phones that places a beard on everybody. <laughs> so what was streamed out to anyone who happened to watch as our people would walk back down the aisle, face the camera. Men, women, young, old, just had this wonderful kind of Italian beard that wrapped around. It was great. So anyway, if you did that, don't ever do that again. It's fantastic. 
So the life of our church. Um, the life of our church has had us um, in the Sermon on the Mount for a period of time talking about what it means to live into God's call to love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, love our neighbor as ourself, that we do that together in community and we do it through the power of the Holy Spirit, not on our own. We're looking during this Lenten season at some of the things that keep us from living that out, the kinds of things that kind of hold back the power of living that way, the, the strength and the joy of living that way. So we're going to look at some things over the course of the next few weeks that speak about things that we kind of place our hope in in the wrong way. This morning, it's misplaced trust. We're going to look at misplaced fear. We're going to look at misplaced blame. We're going to look at misplaced peace and try and see what Scripture does to try and bring us back to a place that these obstacles won't slow us down or hinder us from living into all that God has for us. So Psalm 32, it's difficult to know when, what occasion this might have been written for. It could have been the re-entry into Jerusalem. It could have been sometime following Psalm 51 because it's an interesting follow-up to last week's or Ash Wednesday's um, uh, notion of Psalm 51 coming out of the time that Nathan the prophet confronted David. We're not really sure, but it is a psalm that acknowledges this spiritual journey that we're on and set to music would be one of those things that uh, people would sing and let it connect in their hearts and in their minds in a very particular way. It starts off as Justin read at the beginning of the service in the call to worship, and then Scott read um, the entire psalm. It starts off with two very powerful blessings. Blessed are those whose sins are forgiven. Blessed are those whose iniquities are not accounted against them. Those who live with no deceit or guile in their heart. This word blessed or blessing, it, it means for us, I think when I read it, that I, that I stand somewhat passively and receive this blessing from God. And there is a sense in which that's exactly what happens because God's grace toward us is unmerited favor. I don't earn anything. I don't do anything to deserve that kind of grace poured out on me. So there is some truth to that. There is also sometimes a feeling about the word blessing, sometimes translated happy or joyful, that that is a state that is kind of the guaranteed outcome of living a life following Christ. And I don't know that that's ever expressed as a guarantee for us. Joy is our inheritance, but sometimes we face circumstances that are incredibly difficult, and sometimes it's hard to sense joy in the midst of some of those circumstances. And the word here that is translated as blessed are those whose sins are not counted against them, or sins are forgiven, iniquities are not counted against them, is, is really a term that speaks about a, an action that kind of continues and that it's not necessarily all God toward us. It is as if it is 
expressing a pathway that we are on that we walk. And the consequence of this pathway is blessing. I walk in the way where my trust is in God and God doesn't count my sins against me. My iniquity is forgiven. If this is the pathway that I walk, there is blessing that pours into my journey. It moves toward verse 10 and it, it speaks about the many woes of those who live off this pathway, those who follow a path of evil or rebellion. But the abundance of love of God, God's unfailing love to those who put their trust in God. There's a corollary verse for me. It's one that I've known for a long, long time simply because when I was a kid, I earned a patch for memorizing it. What a great incentive for somebody who's in grade school. And what a great methodology that it would stick in my mind for so long, Proverbs 3, 6. Verse 5 that precedes it kind of sets it up in a beautiful way. It speaks about um, trusting God with our whole heart, leaning not on our own understanding, but in all our ways acknowledge God, and God will direct our paths. It picks up on both of these notions, this pathway that we're traveling, as well as the trust that is our participation in this. So trust is an interesting notion. I'm going to tell you right up front, I'm not a big fan of trust falls. If you've never experienced a trust fall, I'll give you the brief description. You're standing and somebody's behind you, and you fall backwards without looking and believe that they're going to hold you and not let you hit the ground. It has so many issues that could go wrong with it. It's part of the reason why... I'm not a great trust fall participant. I can discipline myself enough to participate in the exercise, but inwardly I'm not trusting at all. And I, it's an outward expression of something that's not congruent with what's going on inside of me. The first time I participated, I was in some type of a retreat setting, and a facilitator of our group of seven took us to a, a stump or a platform that actually was about this high. And... Um, he would have us walk up to the top and people would get in kind of this U-shape on either side and you were supposed to turn around and trust that they didn't run and just leave, that they were still there. And not only that they were still there, but that when you fell backwards, you'd be caught by these people that you don't know well enough to trust that they're going to catch you. There are... If you've watched or observed it, there really are things that can go horribly wrong. Somebody can arch their back so much that it's like a backward headfirst dive, and that could be disastrous. There are others who have the appropriate emotion of fear as you begin to fall backwards and curl up in a fetal position and do a cannonball into the arms, and the two people that were supposed to carry that portion of the body can't handle all of the weight, and so that's a disaster that happens. You're supposed to cross your arms because it'd be terrible to do this motion and hit somebody in the face as you go down, 
But what's even worse is, again, when the appropriate fear emotion happens, you start to fall, and your arms just flail out and smack somebody in the head. And the natural reaction for somebody who gets smacked in the face is to go, oh, that hurts, when your hands are supposed to be down here to catch the person who's falling into your arms. That's just not good. And I am happy for all of you who have done it, and it's been a life-transforming moment, and you have fallen in love with your colleagues or fellow employees, and it was a team-building exercise that changed your life. That's fantastic. I don't want to minimize it or take it away. Or if you're a facilitator that has used that exercise, I just want to say, good for you, and I'm trusting that you did all the right safety things. That's great. I love team building. That is not one of my favorite exercises, as you can tell. And here's one of the reasons. The question that comes is, do you trust them? <laughs> do you trust them? Are you going to fall back into their arms? My issue is that it's not contingent on whether or not I can simply trust them. I can't control all of the other components either. Outside of them, people I don't know well enough to have their hands all over me like that is one of the issues as well. But <laughs> that they don't know what's going on in my head, they don't know my reactions and how that will affect everything when I fall, they don't know what it will feel like in that moment to receive the weight of me that lands a lot harder than they expected, they don't know what will happen if their arm cramps at the last moment. There's a lot that's contained in this that has to do with what I don't control, which exposes one of the key issues of trust. Trust very often is contingent on what I feel like I can control and what I can't control. And often those things that I can control don't require a whole lot of trust. It's into the realm of things that seem to fall outside the sphere of my control that then raise the question, so then, how do I trust? Who do I trust? I would propose this morning that in this passage, very often we find clues that help us to understand the hindrance or the roadblock to living into all that God has called us to live into. One of those is lean not onto your own understanding, but in all thy ways acknowledge God. God will direct your paths. That sometimes what I control is what I understand. If you can give me a great explanation and I get how it works, for those of us that are dependent heavily on knowledge, that gives me a sense of control. Trust then becomes easier, not because I'm really trusting, but because now I get how it works. And if something doesn't work out, now I know how to fix it because I get how it works. But that's leaning on my own understanding. Trust calls me to step into things that I don't always understand well. But here for me, I think, is the biggest roadblock to the kind of trust that God calls us to. 
And that is that I have given myself to trusting the outcome to God. Let me rephrase that. I am trusting that God will bring about the outcome that I desire. Now, when that's the case, I can feel like I am living according to God's Word. And I have to tell you, sometimes God's Word is confusing to me. I go to a passage that we find at the end of chapter 15 of John, where it's a beautiful, powerful passage where Jesus is talking to disciples, and he's talking about the vine, and he said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Remain in me like I remain in the Father, and I will remain in you. I will love you like the Father has loved me. In fact, this is my commandment, that you love one another. And then, when you are living in that fashion, you can ask anything you want in my name, and I will do it. So here I have the justification that I can pray for the outcome that I desire, and I'm trusting God for my outcome. I don't fully understand. I've read so much. I've listened so much. I've even tried to teach on that passage. It's actually an incredibly difficult one. It calls us to a simple faith, but it feels so complicated when you put it into practice in terms of your prayer life journey. But here's what I think is the difficult portion of how we interpret that John passage is that my understanding of God and my trust in God is dependent upon the outcomes that I have been praying for and hoping for. And that's not the kind of trust that God calls us to. In fact, I would go so far as to say, when I am trusting in the outcomes, I have at least in some partial way, begun to worship the outcomes, which is idolatry. That if I believe in a God of these particular outcomes, then my understanding of God is built around something that is not God, and I'm worshiping the wrong thing. It's not trust in a particular outcome. It's in the God who holds it all. Certainly not easy. I grant you that. But that's the call of this passage to put our trust in God. Because there are so many things that I don't control. I don't control the time in history that I was born. I didn't control the parents to whom I was born. I didn't control the location in which I was born. None of those are consequences of decisions that I have made. But God has chosen to give us an incredible amount of freedom. And that freedom creates problems. I don't control how you treat me. There might be some things that I can manipulate a little bit, but the bottom line is, you've got the freedom of choice to treat me however you want to treat me. I don't control that. God's given you freedom within that realm to decide the attitude you're going to have, the spirit you're going to have toward relationships and circumstances. God's given us the freedom of choice in terms of how we're going to treat others, how we're going to live 
out of the circumstances that have been handed to us. And as a result of that incredible freedom, and God not controlling how you treat me, I can have circumstances as a result of your choices, as a result of my own choices, that produce incredibly painful outcomes. There may also be outcomes that have nothing to do with either one of our choices, but the nature of the world in which we live. I don't have control over the physics of the world. If I run as fast as I can right into that wall back there, it's going to hurt. I don't have a choice as to whether that's going to hurt or not. It's going to hurt. Because God's deep commitment to this freedom of choice, it actually gives us the opportunity to love. Because without the freedom to not love, I don't have the freedom to love. If God made us robots, prescribed everything, programmed us, all of our actions, all of our responses, tied into the DNA at birth, then I really don't have the choice to love you because it's been programmed. Until I have the freedom to choose not to love you, I don't have the freedom to love you. So God's given me that choice. The outcomes of our choices is not the thing on which I am basing my trust. I am basing my trust on a God of redemption who wastes nothing and can use everything, who can redeem any and all things, even can redeem lost time, even though I'm stuck in time. And God's redemption has the long story in mind, has eternity in mind. When I base my trust on a particular outcome, I'm set up for an anger toward God and disappointment again and again. But if I place my trust in God, who is a God of redemption, a God of renewal, a God who takes what has been and makes something new out of it, then I am learning what trust really is. I am moving away from idolatry that's dependent on a particular outcome, and I'm living into a faith that has trust in God, the one who loves me, and calls me into this pathway where I choose to live in that way, and there I will find blessing upon blessing. It is a source of hope. It so often includes joy. But in the midst of horrific circumstances, it also brings with it a sense of stable footing. Because if somebody's hands gave way and I fell through, if somebody wasn't there when I needed them to be there, or if I just got news about something that is so out of my control 
that it leaves me spinning. My trust in God, not the circumstances, will hold me through those things. So the invitation to the table is an invitation to trust. I have the great privilege of knowing some of the circumstances that you face. I don't know all of them, and for some of you I know hardly any. But I know we bring with us to this place this morning a mixture of circumstances in which trust is not easy. But I want to encourage you that this is not a one moment, oh, did I fail the trust test. This is a journey together. We're on this pathway. The Spirit leads us and points out to us when we have found ourselves putting too much onto a particular outcome and God inviting us, oh, but would you trust actually in me? Trust in the Lord with your whole heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways, acknowledge God. God will direct this pathway for you. All the woes are many of those who continually step off this path and keep hoping that circumstances will always be the answer. But God's unfailing love will embrace, will hold, will walk alongside of those who put their trust in the Lord. We practice open communion here, which just simply means if you'd like to move in that pathway of trust in God, you're invited to participate. Desiring that kind of grace, that kind of forgiveness, that kind of hope. If for any reason at all, this morning, you just don't feel like this is what you want to participate in, it's perfectly okay. You just, you don't need to take the elements. You are home here, and it's fine. But if you'd like to participate, we're going to invite you in a few moments as the band comes and leads us in song. And in a few moments, the servers will come and line up in these places. When they finally get to their place and you're ready to partake, just come forward, take a piece of bread and a cup, return to your seat, and we'll partake together. In an effort to make sure that all who desire to participate can participate, we know that there are some who struggle with gluten issues. You know, that sounds like a real practical thing or impractical, one or the other. In order to just try and accommodate that, the far left over here will have a tray that has both gluten-free and a little plastic packet as well as regular if that's not an issue for you. You can join in with others, not making you go to your own aisle for that, but it is going to be in that aisle along with others who will join in there. I would like, if you would, to give me a moment to ask God's blessing upon these elements. Lord, what we face is certainly filled with blessing, but we confess that our circumstances 
sometimes seem to drown out the idea of blessing with daunting things in front of us. Forgive us for the idolatry of trusting outcomes as opposed to you who hold all the outcomes in your hands. You who can take any circumstance and redeem. The one who has eternity in mind, oh Lord, help us to trust you this morning. May we, Lord, receive of your grace. May this become for us your forgiveness in our life. May blessing come as you remove our iniquities, as you wash us clean, as your spirit fills us. May you sanctify these, your gifts, to us so that they might be your body of grace, your blood of forgiveness, your peace into our life. And may they in some small way sanctify us that we might be filled with your love and we might return to you all that you have given to us by loving you with our whole hearts and by loving each other. So, Lord, we simply say thank you. Amen.